Now I'm going to start off with an illustration. Follow me as I describe to you my illustration. Okay. Try to put yourself in this place. It might be hard for you to do so. Use your imagination. Uh, close your eyes if you have to, but here we go. There's an evil leader in power. Okay, you guys are going to have to struggle with that one, but there's an evil leader in power. The morals of the people are rapidly decaying. Evil and sin are called good. Sin is celebrated under the guise of tolerance. Attacks on freedom happen more and more frequently. Hope, which was once vibrant, is being suffocated, leaving only despair. Evil appears to be winning. God appears to be silent. Now, could you guys put yourself there? Am I describing today or am I describing the world that Jesus entered into? Yes. The answer is yes. Here's one thing I need us to understand when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to uh, the gospel. Humanity hasn't changed all that much. Our problems come in different flavors. It might be just a little slightly different. Our dresses are obviously different, and the manner in which we do stuff might be different. But the problems that we face are literally eternal. They are, I shouldn't say eternal, they've just been going on since the beginning. The same problems we face today are the same problems that Jesus was born into. It's the same atmosphere in which Jesus, or the, or the Bible says through Jesus, it was the perfect time for him to appear. Jesus came into a world where people were corrupt. Leaders were evil. Sin was celebrated. And we were in trouble. Today's sermon's entitled, you cannot save yourself and you don't have to. And here's, here's the gist of it. Jesus came to rescue us. Jesus being born in a manger some 2,000 years ago is more than just a simple story that we, we share on Christmas or something that we try to guard uh, when this season comes around. The season that we're celebrating now is the idea that God came into human history to save us. We absolutely need saving. I told you earlier I had the joy of traveling some like 6,000 miles over the last couple of weeks, and I've seen people at every truck stop along the way, back to family in California, friends and churches, and then back through again. And here's what I've learned. Everybody needs to be saved. We all, without Jesus, now some of you are Christians, you've been Christians for a long time, and maybe you've grown a little callous to that. You maybe a little indifferent to the fact that we need saving because we consider ourselves saved and praise God that we do. But we have to be reminded that yes, indeed, we do need to be saved. We are sinners in need of saving. And Christmas time is the time to remember when Jesus, eternally God, eternally uh, the everlasting came in human form. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever gone from maybe a, a work position? You've gone from one of, of, 
of loftiness and then maybe you've you've been demoted for some reason there's downsizing or it's not anything you did i'm not you calling you out on your work or anything like that what i mean is like there's just some shifting and, and you get new responsibilities that you might consider a little beneath you you know you've you've earned the right to not have to do these things anymore because you've worked 10 15 20 years at a certain company or a place and uh you've earned maybe a management position or something like that and then you go back and it's like oh geez like this is this is not where i thought my life was now Take the negative out of that and amplify that by like a billion. And you have God, the king of all creation, coming down into this lowly creation that has been tainted and, and, and polluted by sin. We've, we've heard the story of Jesus' uh, birth. So often we, we've grown callous to it. We forget that Jesus came to save us from ourselves, to save us from the wrath of God. Church, we live in a time and an age where the wrath of God, that phrase itself, is very rarely uttered, even within church walls. We, we've forgotten that the wrath of God is still the wrath of God. Now, we might be um, forgiven and excluded from it because of our faith in Jesus, but we have to remember we face a world that is going to incur the wrath of God. And so turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We'll go over the uh, just a short passage from the birth story of Jesus. Um, Christmas, Christmas is an elective. Remember high school? We had electives. You didn't have to take them. You know, there was classic English and, and science and all that. But then there was other things, you know, small gas engines and art and things like that. They were considered electives. Celebrating Christmas is somewhat of an elective. We're not commanded anywhere in the, in the Bible to celebrate Christmas. We get to celebrate Christmas. There's nothing wrong with that. But we have to understand that what we get to do is a privilege, that we get to celebrate Christmas is a great honor, and that some folks celebrate it for different reasons, but we celebrate it for what we would call biblical reasons. And here's why we celebrate. Verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You go to, to the first couple of chapters of Luke, you get a very much expanded or expounded upon story of the birth of Christ. Um, you have the exchange between Mary and the angel. You have the exchange between uh, Zechariah uh, and the angel, the, the, the man who was working in the temple at the time, the, uh, the Levite. And uh, so read that as this week goes on. But here we have the gist of it. Jesus was to be born through the Virgin Mary. He was to be born uh, without sin. He would not sin. And he was going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. So many other religions preach and teach that 
God is to be found, but only through a series of steps, discoveries, revelations, and only a select few ever find him. The gospel of Jesus turns that upside down on its head and says, God is to be found. God has come after us. God has sought to save us. God has seen us in our depravity and in our sin, and instead of just judging us, has decided to incur his own wrath so that we might be saved. In the verse here in Matthew chapter 1, it says that Jesus was sent to save his people. Church, we can't escape the fact that first you are loved. I like to start off with, with the fact that you are loved by God because the next part gets, gets a little hairy. Um, when we start talking about being sinners and things like that, um, it's, it's good to be reminded that we are loved. Now, so there's a misconception in our world today that everybody's a child of God. Um, especially when politicians start to talk about religion, um, they begin to say things like, well, we're all God's children. Um, that might sound nice and make a good sound bite, but biblically it's not true. Uh, we are all sinners born under the wrath of God. Now, we have the right to become children of God. We have that, that ability because of what Jesus has done, but we aren't born children of God. Nobody has a free ride, so to speak. Um, but because of that fact, it start, we start with we are so loved. Romans 5 and 6 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We bring nothing to the table. No works, no amount of giving, no amount of time, no, no matter how many years as being a pastor or a, a this or a that, none of that, none of that brings you any closer to God than what God has already done to be brought close to you. That before we were even cognizant of the fact that we were sinners. And we all, all Christians have that moment. If you haven't had that moment, go to the Lord in prayer. But we have that moment where you see the holy God and it reveals to you your own unholiness. Like, ah, oh, I've done this and I've done and that. I realize it now. Like just last week, it didn't feel like this, but there's conviction because of your sin. And there's got to be reconciliation. Now, for some, it will harden their hearts. The Puritans used to have a saying that the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. The grace of God, for some reason, some men it will harden their hearts. For some, it will just break them and melt them. Christians find themselves in this category over here. You are so loved by your Creator. I always picture, and this is the best way I can get my, my futile mind around it, I picture the wrath of God coming out of a pitcher, you know, and for some reason, this doesn't mean anything to anybody. It's the Kool-Aid man is always on the side of the pitcher. The pitcher is being poured out. It's the wrath of God being poured out upon me. You know, if the rest of the world is a sinner and I'm not, or, or vice versa, you know, the sins of the world don't really matter if my sins aren't taken care of. Does that make sense? Like, I have no business pointing my finger at anybody else when my own sin is hanging on me like filthy rags. When, when I got that huge plank in my own eye, standing before God, it's going to be my sins that matter, right? So I'm, I, I picture just that, 
wrath being poured out, and, and by exercising faith in Jesus, now he comes and stands in the way, and the wrath is poured out upon him. That which I justly deserve, Jesus takes so that I might be saved from it. To me, that is the greatest expression of love we can find. We have lots of expressions of love, but this is what we would call agape love. A love that is a love that is just lavished upon us, given to us, showered upon us. A love that we did not merit, a love that we did not earn, but yet a love that God gives to us. Romans 5 and 10, and you'll notice we verse, skipped verse 9. We'll get to that one in just a minute. Romans 5 and 10 says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Notice the words that Paul uses about us outside of Jesus. Wrath of God, enemy of God. This is who we are without Jesus. But that makes what God has done so profound. That makes the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that much more than we can even perceive. Verse 9, we skipped. Because yes, we are loved, but we need to be saved. You need to be saved. Maybe you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. That's a very good start. But salvation is a work that is worked out throughout your entire life. It's not that you lose your salvation at some point or, or something like that, but it's a, it's, a line, it's, a, it's, a, it's a time where you work it out with fear and trembling, the Bible says, your salvation. Your salvation is dependent upon Jesus, but the life that he has given you is now led by choices that are led by the Holy Spirit. You have things to do. You have things to say and people to meet and ministries to start and just love to give. You are loved, but you need to be saved. Romans 5 and 9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The wrath of God is this huge term in the Bible. It just means it's, it's judgment. It's, it's the day of, 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 of standing before the Lord. It's eternal punishment for our sins. The wrath of God it's like the best phrase you can use to try to describe something you can't describe. The wrath of God. Now in this verse, verse 9, it says, you know, we've been reconciled and all that. But I want us to realize we've been reconciled and saved from what? The wrath of God. Now God doesn't just wink at our sin. Okay, come along. You can come in. Now, I won't tell anybody. Just come, come around the back. You'll be saved too. No, a real price has been paid. The real blood of Jesus has been shed. The baby that is born in the manger grows up to be the man who dies on the cross. Because we need saving. Romans 3 and 23 says, For all have fallen, excuse me, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's just half the verse. We'll get to the rest of it at the end there. You know, for some people, being called a sinner is not the best part of their day. You know, you show up at a Christmas service, and they promise you cookies, and you think, we're going to get some warm fuzzies here today. We're not going to be talking about sin today. We can't talk about 
the salvation of Jesus without recognizing first that we need to be saved. That the very real wrath of God one day will be poured out upon non-believers. We haven't manufactured this. We haven't concocted this. This is the plan that God has laid out since the beginning. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? God has a standard and we can't reach it. We need to be saved and we can't save ourselves. Nothing we can do will ever get us right with God except for one thing. Faith. It is by faith we have been saved, the Bible says. Today, if you want to be saved, if if maybe your life is not where it should be, maybe you once had a great fervor for Jesus and it kind of dwindled and now life is just in the way and you know something's different, today's a day to, to exercise faith again, to walk out of here believing in what Jesus has done for you. Not believing for the things that you want or believing for you know the wish list in your head, but believing that Jesus loves you so much that he would die in your place. That he would conquer sin and death. That's only half the story. That he would conquer sin and death and then live for you and rule and reign at the right hand of his Father. If I could, I would encourage you this week as you read, as maybe you go back to the... the the nativity story of, of Luke's, uh, Luke chapter 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2. Uh, read the book of Romans as well. You'll notice I'm, I'm, I'm coming a lot out of the book of Romans. Um, read the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a great uh, teaching and preaching and reminder and warning about Jesus and the gospel and saving and, and the wrath of God. You need to be saved. For some of you, that might make you angry for others you probably say yeah you know what? I, I do need saving I've heard a lot of good sermons in my lifetime I've heard a lot of bad sermons too and one of the one of the gauges I have for good and bad sermons because that's sort of relative right what I consider bad you might consider good and vice versa for different reasons but I always ask myself how does this message save someone who's maybe stuck in alcoholism you know, they just can't put down the bottle. You know, yeah, they know how to properly exegete a, a, a verse from the Bible or they know the, the Greek or Hebrew definition, but is that going to help them when the temptation is there to become drunk again? Or, or will this rescue somebody from the snare of pornography? Will this rescue somebody from uh, hatred or anger? The temptation to steal or to lie. See, the message today is all about Jesus and how he has rescued us. And for those of you caught in sin, realize, A, that you're human, that temptation's a real thing, and that you need saving. And then even after you are saved for eternity, we have to be delivered from certain things that ensnare us here in this lifetime. We are being perfected, yet we're not perfect yet. You understand we we are being it's like a puzzle we're being put together but the puzzle pieces all aren't all you know are not all there yet and so for some of you you're stuck in certain types of sin and you know what your sin is and you've confessed it to the Lord and you're still stuck I want to encourage you God loves you why why is it not why are you not being 
delivered today? I don't know. But I do know this. God is a God of deliverance, and he will deliver you. And when that day comes, it will be a beautiful, glorious day. The day when you are truly delivered from your sin. All of us, we might fight our sin for the rest of our lives, but there will come a day when we, we will meet Jesus, and we will be changed, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye. Sin will no longer be a thing. Can you? We can't even imagine that, sin not being a thing. Like it's just there all the time. It's just always creeping around, looking, trying to, like a lion just waiting to just pounce on you in your moment of weakness, when you're overtired and when you're overworked and when you're overstressed. And if you're like me, that's like, that's like life. We're always overstressed. We're always overworked. Just looking to pounce, just looking to get us. Satan is there baiting us and tempting us and, 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 and trying to get that hook in our flesh again. But there'll come a day where that, where that will no longer exist. And it will be awesome. You are loved. You need to be saved. And you cannot save yourself. See, this part of the gospel, I feel like most people sweep under the rug. I love this part of the gospel. I love that I cannot save myself. Do you know why? Because that means God's going to do it, and he's going to do it perfectly. Have you ever just put something together, like from Ikea or a store or something, a bookshelf, anything, and you just put it it's like, this This thing get done right. You know, or like I remember being a kid, and you, could, you had the option of like when you bought a bike, the store can put it together. Or you could put it together. If you put it together, you save a few bucks, right? But then you get home, you're like, what's this thing? And everything's like kind of quirky. God, I wish I would have spent a few extra dollars so that people who know what they're doing would do it. To me, this, this, this relieves the heavy burden of trying to save myself. If you've been convicted of your sin and then now you're like, oh, how am I going to fix this? You've kind of gone off the path a little bit here. Yes, the conviction part, that's good, but now we give our lives to Jesus because we cannot save ourselves. Ephesians 2 and 1 says this, and you were dead. Let's stop right there. And you were dead. Dead people don't do anything. A dead corpse can't save itself. It cannot come back to life on its own. You were dead. We, we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sin. We, there's nothing we can do to make us undead. It took the very power of God to make us alive. It says, that, and you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Okay, so when you hear a politician say, no, we're all children of God, say, no, no, the Bible says we were all children of wrath. And that's not a good thing. Good heavy metal band name, not a great title to have. You, the, you can laugh at the jokes. I know I haven't been here in a few weeks. I'll try to make them more funny. I'm just trying to work out some things. But, verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You are not made alive by yourself. You are forgiven and born again. But you're not born again in and of yourself. You're born again with Christ. Together. You and him. There is no separation. You cannot be alive without Jesus. 
Jesus has come to make you alive. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The world's mentality is do good works, be a good person, be accepted by God, get into heaven or whatever. And the Bible says, no, 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 you were children of wrath. You, you followed your passions. You followed the prince of the power of the air. You were the same spirit that's at work of the sons of disobedience today was in work in you. You were just, you were just dead because of all this. But now Jesus has made you alive. When you give your life to Jesus, life has already sprung up in you. And the continuation of that is giving your life to Jesus. See, for me, this, this verse here is not burdensome. This is taking the burden away. It's like, oh, I don't have to save myself. And then I can live out verse 10, which says, we were created for good works. I get to go do good stuff. Now, now the burden I get to pick up is doing stuff for people, loving people, serving people ministering here at South Bay Chapel. This is stuff I get to do. This is a privilege and an honor and a place where, you know, I don't want to lose this. I don't want to squander this because God has created me for good works. I, do, I don't come in on a Sunday morning, man, I got to nail this sermon or God's going to hate me. I got to nail this sermon or I'm going to lose my salvation. It's like, oh man, God, help me to, to preach the message you want the people to hear. You've saved me. You're so you're you're awesome. I'm not. Let them hear you, not me. But thank you that I get to do this. See, we were we were created for good works, to do good works. But not that those good works would make us better before God, but be a representation of the God we serve. We if our actions aren't showing Jesus to the world or at least someone other than ourselves if our if our actions aren't preaching the gospel then we're we need to become better disciples of jesus when the disciples went out into into the temple courts and the synagogues they they knew who they represented not because of the not only because of the words but because of their actions as well you cannot save yourself you can be saved that's the message of christmas that's the message you need to hear today, that you can be saved. And maybe those words, I've said the word saved so many times this morning, maybe they're losing all meaning. But know this, you are loved, you are in trouble, you can't save yourself, but Jesus saves. The eternal message that Jesus saves is the same today as it was yesterday, and it will be the same tomorrow. And we live in a place where, where we need saving and our community needs saving. In the book of Acts, you read about men who gave their life to Jesus, and it says subsequently that their households came to faith. Some people wrongly teach that because maybe the dad got saved, that meant everybody else was going to heaven too, like they didn't have a choice. Um, what the Bible's telling us there is that the dad, the husband, gave his life to Jesus, and then the family followed suit. They gave their life to Jesus too. 
And that's just not exclusive for dads. For some of you, it's the moms. It might be the kids who get saved, and then it changes the whole culture of the, of the household. Everybody, everybody begins to see this person living out their faith, and it, and it challenges them. And then maybe one day the whole house is saved. They're all following Jesus. They're all in love with him and his church. They just want to be a part of what God is doing at their, their local church body. And I would pray that would be your family, that you would be the catalyst of your family. Uh, you know, Jesus would be obviously first, but that he would use you to bring your household to faith as well. And to know in heaven, you know, I don't know if we get like a punch card that shows who we help lead into heaven or if we have like a stamp book that shows, you know, how many salvations work through you, you know, like, like baseball stats. But man, how great would it be to just know that not only that we went to, to heaven to be with the Lord for all of eternity, to be made whole and complete, but that our children, our parents, our, our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, our coworkers, that, that we were used somehow, some way to share the gospel message, to find that, that it was probably the worst, the worst message we ever shared. Or we sat there and we just we just trembled and we're like, I don't know what I'm going to say about Jesus, but i got to say something. And that was used somehow by the Lord. Not some big, profound, you know, well-thought-out, scripted uh, thing, but just your moment of weakness where God's power was most strong. That, that God used that and people came to know him because of it. Acts 4 and 12, when... when Peter and the disciples, they, they've now been preaching. The day of Pentecost has come. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching up a storm. Well, the powers that be don't like that. You know, when you preach about, nothing's changed. You preach about Jesus today, you're going you're gonna to lose an ear or you know, lose an eyebrow. You're going to get hurt somehow. Uh, it's just what happens when you come to preaching the gospel. Well, they're basically arrested, called into question. The, the Pharisees want to know, what are you doing? And by what name? By what power are you doing this? By what name are you? Uh, do you have the authority, the audacity to preach something other than what we teach? Part of Peter's response was, uh, and, there's, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You know, Christians, we go gaga for the name of Jesus because of this reason. We, we, we pray to Jesus. We seek Jesus. We write songs about Jesus and make artwork about Jesus. Why? Because there's no other name under heaven by which man, men must be saved. All of us, man, woman, child, no other name. Not Joseph Smith or Brigham Young. Not Allah. Not Buddha. Not whatever. Not this. Not that. Jesus is the only name. Jesus is the only name that will save you. The only power, the only authority that will save you from you. You know, a good set of rules and practices might help you eat better, stop smoking, stop kicking the dog, stop drinking, stop pornography. Sure, people kick that stuff all the time. But these things, you won't be made right with God by any other name than the name of Jesus. This is why we call out to the name of Jesus. This is why we, we revere and honor the name of Jesus. This is why 
we write songs about. We just want to worship him because there's no other name. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Romans 8 and 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ has come into this world so that we might become a part of him. So the question is, are you in Christ Jesus? I can't answer that for you, nor would I dare to. Only you know how you stand before God. Here's what I'll tell you about myself. Past week, no excuses. Bible reading has dipped. Prayer time has dipped. And I can feel it. It's not, it's not, oh, I feel guilty because I'm not doing these things. Or, you know, oh, I better do them so God's not mad. No, I can feel in my life, I can feel a difference because these things are starting to lag. And none of you guys could know that. I could come in here and fake that really easy. You guys would never know. You just assume, oh, it's Pastor Tony. He must be reading his Bible. Why else would he be up there? But when you stop doing these things, you start to you start to feel that decline. You start to feel it, it's as though you're growing hungry and desperate. And so I feel that I know that about me. And so what's the remedy for that? Well, first is repentance. To go to the Lord and say, Lord, this is stupid. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go back the other direction. Say, Lord, thank you for showing me this before we were a month or two months or three years or five years down the road. And, oh, I haven't cracked my Bible open in, you know, a decade. There are pastors who don't crack their Bible open for a long time and yet still preach the Word of God. And that shouldn't be, and there are people in churches that, you know, Oh, this is the this is the word of God. They'll say things like, "I never put anything on top of it." You know, it sits on their nightstand or their coffee table. It's like, well, you could at least put your face on top of it. Like, you could just read it. Like, it it looks good on a table, sure. And company comes over and like, oh, they have a Bible. But if you're not reading it, it's just a decoration piece in your house. Don't let it be that. Actually, read it. But Pastor Tony, you're a hypocrite. You didn't read your Bible at all this week. Well, yeah, I'm a hypocrite. I'd rather be a hypocrite telling you what to do than, you know, just say, you know what, let's just all live in, you know, live in sin and, and, and rebellion. Repent. Go back. Ask forgiveness. And then actually do something. Read and pray and seek and ask and knock and, and go after the Lord with the fervor that he's given you. Ask for an increase of of that fervor, you know, or, or just be honest, Lord, I just don't feel it. Can you help me? Can you help me feel it? You know, I'm not big on feelings, but hey, if we need to feel it, then go for it. There are times where I'm very hungry for the word, and there are times where it's like, man, I'm doing this because I know it's right, but I don't feel it. I'm going to do it anyways. Are you in Christ? It's a phrase in the New Testament used some 200 times, being in Christ or, or in the Lord or in God or, or, or in Jesus. It's the idea that, that you have left your old life and now are consumed by the life of Jesus. Are you there? That is your challenge today. That is your challenge this Christmas season. To seek, to ask, to knock, to tell Jesus, no, I don't feel it. I don't. I've done I've gone astray. Please rescue me. Here's the good news. God's a rescuer. 
He leaves the 99 to go after the one. He, he, he finds the one who falls off and picks them up. If you are his child, he loves you like a good father loves his child. He goes after them. He picks them up. He saves them. Some of you may not have had a good role model for a father. I understand that. But that just shows the humanness of your dad and contrasts the greatness of God your father. What man has done to you, God will not do to you. His love will not cease. He will never leave nor forsake you. He has done all things and given up all things that are his so that he might be reconciled to you. You can trust him. You can be vulnerable before him. And you can be loved by him. But are you in him today? Let's stand. You guys want to come up? We'll end with this verse. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Romans 3 and 21 says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. As cliche as it sounds, Jesus is the best gift you will ever receive, that you will ever be given. And so today I just ask that you would, by faith, believe in that gift. In a few minutes we're going to have the kids come out. They're going to sing. It's going to be awesome. Tim's going to lead them with guitar. For just a few moments, let's just pray. I'm not going to pray for you like we normally do. I need you to pray. This is your walk. This is your life. When you leave these doors, you will go to your home. And Jesus is your Savior. He is your Lord. He is your God. So I'm going to pray, but I want you to pray for you too. Okay? This message is not for the person next to you. It's for you. It's not for the person who didn't come today. It's for you. Father God, we praise you. We rejoice as we remember the birth of your son. Indeed, it is great cause for celebration. But it's a reminder of the gift that you have given to us. That this gift, this baby, this, this boy that was born in a manger a few thousand years ago, Lord, came because we needed to be saved. That your son was named Jesus because... He was going to save us. He was called Emmanuel because he is God with us. Not God far away, not God way out there, but God with us. And today, Lord, we need you more than ever. I thank you, Lord, that the burden of salvation is placed on your shoulders and not ours. 
that as we are saved and brought back to life and, and given new life through you and through you alone, that we get to do good things, we get to do good works. I praise you that your love is unending, that nothing will separate us from your love, that though we were children of wrath, through faith you have made us the children of God. I pray for myself, Lord. Help me to handle my salvation with fear and trembling. Help me to lead my household, my wife and my children, and my friends and my family, and even this church, Lord. Father, I pray for the, the dads here today. As they lead their families, Lord, may they, may they know the, the light burden of being the man of their household, drawing near to Jesus. For the ladies, the same thing. For the children, the same thing. For, for grandparents, the same thing, Lord. That we would all individually follow after you, to become disciples of you, be changed by you. And that you would continue the work of salvation in and through us forever. We love you, Lord. We are not perfect. We thank you that you are perfect. We are not whole or complete, but we thank you that you are working that out in us. Father, there are people here today who, who have never walked like this with you, have never given their life over to you. Father, I pray for them today that this would be the day of their salvation or rededication or reconciliation, whatever you want to call it, Lord, but that today from here on out they'd be walking with you day in and day out. I praise you, Lord, that you take us, you know, bent and crooked sticks, you take us and you write straight lines, you write the straight line of the gospel, that none of us here is inadequate to do any work that you've called us to do. I thank you, Lord. You are so good. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.